Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Barricade Showdown. The fact remains. The barricades must now come down. The injunctions must be obeyed, and the law must be upheld. Justin Trudeau dramatically changes his position after weeks of negotiation failed to bring down the rail barricades. But what can he do now? Will the police move in? And what are the costs of all this dragging on? We'll get the latest from the Public Safety Minister, Bill Blair, and then McKay's moment. It's people, it's their dreams, it's your dream. And that's why I'm standing here today, again, to announce my candidacy for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. He's praised counter-protesters who removed the blockade from a railway line, and he's called others thugs. But how would Peter McKay, who's widely seen as the Conservative leadership race frontrunner, handle the blockades if he were the Prime Minister? And what else does he stand for? Peter McKay joins us for a wide-ranging interview. We've got all that, plus the scrum is here with the political fallout of these protests as Justin Trudeau's grand bargain fallen apart. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. So is this the turning point? Well, it certainly has been for Prime Minister Trudeau, who has gone from patience and dialogue to demanding that the protesters take down those rail blockades. That shift came on Friday after the RCMP offered to leave Wet'suwet'en territory, which was one of the key demands of the five hereditary Wet'suwet'en chiefs, but it didn't change anything. The barricades remain, and so does the stalemate. So now what? Remember, it's been more than two weeks since Indigenous activists blocked railway lanes across the country to protest a natural gas pipeline in B.C. Veal Rail has had to cancel all passenger trains, though some trains have resumed, and CN has had to cancel its eastern network. What will it take to end the blockade and get the Canadian economy moving again? Can the dispute be resolved before tensions boil over, or is it too late? And should the PM have taken a stronger approach from the start. Let's find out. Joining me now from Toronto is the Public Safety Minister, Bill Blair. Mr. Blair, great to have you on the program. Has your Thank government you. strategy of dialogue and patience, which was how you described it for two weeks, has that failed because the barricades have not come down? No, let me be very clear. Dialogue is very important, and we have been engaged in that for two weeks, and we're continuing to engage in dialogue. There was a very important meeting that, that took place late Friday evening in British Columbia involving, you know, the British Columbia government and, and their authorities, but also the RCMP and the hereditary chiefs, and a number of discussions have been taking place. That dialogue is and must continue, and, and so we've been committed to that. But at the same time, Evan, and, and very clearly on Friday, the, the Prime Minister acknowledged and recognized the enormous impact that this is having on Canadians from coast to coast. And so it, the time has come. The barricades must come down and, and the, the law must be obeyed. Uh, but at the same time, we are not in any way stepping back from our, commit, our commitment to continue. Uh, the dialogue that is part of the entire reconciliation agenda. We have been committed and we remain committed. Okay, but, when the, but when the Prime Minister says in a very distinct shift in tone, the barricades must come down. Was he giving a signal to the OPP and the RCMP that he supports now the immediate enforcement of the injunction, that if the police move in, they now have the full government support? Evan, it's really important to listen to exactly what the Prime Minister said. He was speaking to those who were on the barricades, and he said the barricades must come down and the law must be obeyed. He, he, he explained to them the, the impact that these barricades and the disruption of service is having to Canadians. It's causing layoffs. It's causing serious risks even to public safety and public health. 
And, and so <coughs> it is essential that those barricades come, come down. The, the Prime Minister was very careful in not giving instructions to law enforcement. He was, he was asking those who were on those barricades to take them down, allow uh, for the but, resumption okay. of rail service, and come back to the table for dialogue. But, Minister, this is the blinding restatement of the obvious. For weeks, people have said the barricades are causing economic harm. We know that. But the Prime Minister shifted his tone. When he says the barricades must come down, I, I get it. That's a slightly different tone, but is that also a signal to the police? You will have government support if and when you independently decide to enforce the law. And the RCMP commissioner is sitting there in your incident response group at the highest level of cabinet. They know now that the prime minister says, take them down. So just tell me yes or no. Does your government fully support police if they decide to take action and enforce the injunction? You know, I'll, I'll tell you precisely what we do support, Evan. We, we support um, upholding the rule of law. And we also know and we have confidence in, in the police, in the RCMP, in their jurisdictions, in the OPP here in Ontario, that they will uh, make every effort to resolve this dispute and to have those barricades down as peaceably as, po as possibly can be done. And, and we, have, we understand their training and the, their responsibility. I've had conversations with my counterparts in British Columbia, Quebec, and in Ontario. We all understand the, the importance of a peaceful resolution, but a speedy resolution, because the impact of these barricades is unacceptable, untenable. It can't be maintained and be, because of the harm that it is causing. And, and, but and we so get we that, but what leverage, I, I get peaceably. that, but, but is that, a, I, I, I'll ask you one last time, does the government support the, the police if they move in and take those barricades down, yes or no? The government supports upholding the rule of law, and, and the courts issue directions to the police, and the police make decisions when and how those injunctions will be enforced. But, but the, the message the Prime Minister delivered on Friday was directed very much to those who are on those barricades and those who are engaging in protest. We want them to take the barricades down and we want them to come back to the table. We've got a lot of work to do. And, and that work has been continuing in, in the discussions right. in British Columbia. But, but there is you know, a, a great deal of, of work to do in the journey of, towards reconciliation, and we want to re resume that respectful dialogue as quickly as possible, and we need those barricades to come down because of the harm it's causing to the If they don't come down, are you afraid of vigilante-style action, people taking action in their own hands, as we've seen across the country before? Well, I would urge all Canadians to respect the rule of law. and and to help us find peaceful ways to resolve this as quickly as possible. Uh, frankly, everyone should, should be respectful of the law and respectful of all other Canadians. On Thursday, the RCMP offered to pull out of Wet'suwet'en land. But the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs have uh, been tweeting out this morning, quote, all they've done was lock the doors, they've increased patrols and harassment. Clearly a case of distrust there. They're saying that, in fact, they're still on hereditary territory. Is that the case? Well, let me, let me tell you that the, the information that I have received about the discussion that took place on Friday, a 90-minute discussion between the RCMP, BC uh, officials, and those hereditary chiefs, that it was a very respectful and productive discussion, and agreements have been made. I know that the, RC, the RCMP offered on Wednesday evening by letter to the hereditary chiefs to, to withdraw from uh, the kilometer 29 on that road, which was exactly what the hereditary chiefs had asked. They, the RCMP agreed to do it. 
They then set out immediately to begin doing what they said they were going to do, and they have done what they said they were they're going to do. I will but tell you, I have great confidence in the, in the Deputy Commissioner in British Columbia and in her officers. They have been working tirelessly to resolve this right. peaceably, and, 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 and I would encourage the hereditary chiefs Come back to that discussion and let's move forward together. Okay, j just to be fair, they said that they want the RCMP off every single part of the land. Uh, they're not on the hereditary territory. The RCMP have not done that. They also, one of the core demands is that coastal uh, gasoline pipeline have their permits pulled. And the BC Premier said that's a non-starter. Uh, so how much... How many of these demands will the RCMP capitulate on? Will they get off all hereditary land? Will they pull the permits for coastal gas link? Evan, be very clear. The, the, the role and the duty and responsibility of the RCMP is to provide policing services and to keep safe the thousands of people that live in, in that region. And so we're not going to be able to abandon them. And so they'll continue to receive the services uh, that they need from, of, of policing from the RCMP. I can also tell you that there is a, a continuation of the permitting process and that, that Coastal GasLink uh, is, is now in the process of acquiring another permit um, which requires 30 days of additional dialogue in what is, is referred to as the dark house and includes the hereditary chiefs and that work will not continue until that permit is, is, is in fact issued. Right. And so uh, the people are following very carefully both the law and the requirement for ongoing dialogue. And, and, and I believe the RCMP have been very, very committed okay. to working collaboratively with the people of, of the territory, including the hereditary chiefs, to find a peaceful resolution to these concerns, right. but also to affect their responsibilities. A couple last things, uh, Minister. Uh, what about calling in the army? If the, if the Prime Minister says these barricades got to come down now, the, the OPP not moving on it, is the government ruling out or is it possibility that the army is used? Now, to be really clear, this is the responsibility of the police of jurisdiction. The RCMP, for example, in, in those areas where we have a, a, a provincial policing agreement, for the provincial police in Ontario, it, it is the OPP's responsibility. But this is a policing function, and, and Evan, I don't believe personally that it's ever appropriate to put the armed, armed services against and, and up against Canadians in any part of Canada. Um, the, the armed services perform an, an essential role to this country, but the police also perform an essential role. This is a policing function and most appropriately left with the police. The opposition has dismissed your, your plan as leaderless, weak. They've said you should use Section 5 of the RCMP Act to put pressure on the RCMP commissioner to act. They say that there's no plan, there's no process, the rule of law is now, it's a joke. What do you say to those critics that say, no, nothing's ever going to be built again because your government can't enforce the rule of law. I'd say a couple of things. First of all, some of the nonsense that they've spouted about uh, Section 5 of the RCMP Act, uh, the rule of law very clearly places limits on any direction that I can give to the RCMP and I cannot direct them in operations to get tell them who to investigate, who to charge or how to deploy or, or engage in their operations. And, and, and that law is very clear. So anybody saying otherwise is being disingenuous and misleading Canadians. But I would also say it is not weak to engage in the difficult task of dialogue and reconciliation. And our government remains committed to that. We have been working around the clock on that. And we have also been very clear 
that we recognize the impact that this is having on, on everyday Canadians and on the Canadian economy, um, but most importantly, the, the risk to families and individuals. And so okay. we are urging people to, to do the right thing, to take those barricades down, come back to the table. It's hard work, and it is led very capably and ably by our government. But what if they and, don't? And like, I, I the people get on it. the other side of the table. But, but I get it. It's been two weeks. People are frustrated. What if they don't come back to the table? What now? How long can this go on? What's the plan? There are a number of legal remedies that are available, and the courts have a role to play. They have already in, engaged in issuing a, an injunction. Um, there are directions that the courts right. are able, depending on the evidence, to, to, to give to the local authorities to enforce. There are other civil remedies available as well. But, you know, I think before we get into all of that complexity. I think it's important for everyone involved in this to recognize the impact that this is having on Canadians. I don't believe okay. it is the intention of those protesters or the hereditary chiefs to do harm to, to Canadian families and to, and, or, or, or put Canadian lives at risk. I, I believe that that, okay. that, they, that is not their intent. And so it's important that these barricades come down and let's get back to the table and, and begin, the, again, the work that is necessary to be completed. All right, I got to leave it there this morning. Uh, Bill Blair, I appreciate it. Minister, thank you so much. Coming up on this program in the race to become the next Conservative leader, Peter McKay's comments about these blockades have sparked a lot of controversy. Was he really supporting the public taking action in their own hands? And how would he change the Conservative Party of Canada? Candidate Peter McKay joins us next. Stay right here with Question Period. So the deepening political, economic and social crisis over the rail blockades has spilled into the Conservative leadership race, of course. After some notable blunders at the beginning of his campaign, especially on social media, Peter McKay is in the headlines again. The perceived front-runner drew the ire of some Indigenous rights activists and political opponents with a series of tweets about the ongoing anti-pipeline protests happening in cities across the country. First, he called some of the demonstrators a small gang of professional protesters and thugs. Then, in a now-deleted tweet, he praised some counter-protesters who were dismantling a rail blockade in Edmonton. So what do his comments mean for his campaign, and what else does Mr. McKay stand for? Let's find out. Great to have him on the show. He joins us now, Conservative Leadership Candidate Peter McKay. Mr. McKay, first of all, uh, great to have you back on the show. And i got to start with these Thank rail you, blockades and, and that response. Um, you tweeted out support for these guys in a pickup truck who went in there and cleared the tracks. As a former justice minister, do you really want average people, the public, driving onto tracks and taking matters into their own hands? Well, I think it was done in a very peaceful, respectful way, and uh, it was not done in any kind of a, a means to elevate. I think people uh, uh, who are good Samaritans, good citizens, uh, see an opportunity to prevent uh, a problem, which having debris on a highway or on a, a track is a problem. You're calling those guys good Samaritans. Uh, a lot of people said you were supporting vigilante justice. You had to pull down your tweet saying you got the words wrong. Then you repeated it in a letter. So just clarify. Are, I don't know if the law, well, did, it was, the intentions, are these, is that vigilante justice or is it good Samaritans? Evan, Evan that's, a, uh, that's, I guess, from the eye of the beholder. And you were one of the people that uh, accused me of encouraging vigilanteism. And that's partly in a response to you why I clarified it. And, you know, even reporters sometimes have to clarify themselves. 
Yeah, to be fair, actually, I never used the word vigilantism. I said this could lead to a dangerous situation. I never once used the word vigilantism. But you actually then no, said some, you some don't other reporters support. did. No, I get that. But you you said you don't support vigilantism. I'm not trying to get a gotcha no, moment, Mr. McKay. I'm just trying to figure out in a very tense situation, and your voice is obviously very influential. You're a former justice minister. Do you really want? Do you see how dangerous that situation could be? And was that a mistake? I see the danger, Evan, when people put debris and block highways or railways, and that's what I was drawing attention to. And I think that that is, in fact, the more important issue here, not, uh, not Twitter accounts. I think it's what's going on across the country. The real vigilantes are the people involved in these protests who are impeding safe passage of rail, who are preventing important goods like propane, food, medicine, getting to communities who are causing massive problems in terms of people's employment and their ability to get to work. This is paralyzing the economy of Canada. And all the while, the government of Canada itself seems paralyzed. The prime minister himself was out of the country for a week before this crisis really started to hit a crescendo. He's only back now a few days and still hasn't been able to come to any kind of uh, resolution to this crisis and seems to be on his heels waiting, waiting, offering now more money as part of a, a, an attempt to buy his way out of this problem. Evan, you have followed politics for a very long time. We have never seen anything like this. And in fact, we have a court order, as you referenced, that empowers the police to do their job, and that is to clear the tracks and allow commerce to begin. Yeah, Peace, but, but order, and good government I, I, is what's I, at stake. I get that, but the, the OPP are the ones in charge, and they know from Ipperwash, they know from OCA, that this is a very complicated situation. They said the exercise of police discretion, I'm quoting the OPP, should not be confused with lack of enforcement. So are you really criticizing the OPP because they're the ones on the front lines for not doing their jobs? Is that really what you're doing? No, I'm not criticizing the police. And let's go back to something basic here. And that is, in fact, that the majority of the Wet'suwet'en people, they're elected 20 bands that have supported the gas link that goes through their territory. The majority of the hereditary chiefs support this gas link. And so what are we talking about here? I, I for one, am not of the view that the vast majority of these protesters and those who are causing the problem, who are acting illegally, are in fact Indigenous people. And I think that that is borne well, out when one uh, looks okay, at well, the, the individuals who are actually on the tracks. Let me go to this, uh, calling the, these, the, a lot of the protesters thugs, and you say a lot of them are not Indigenous. Uh, a lot of the Indigenous leaders were very angry that you dismissed some of the Mohawk leadership that I've spoken to, uh, were furious that you called them thugs um, and the vigilantism. How would you, if you were the Prime Minister, face these very same First Nations groups after you've dismissed them as thugs and, and because how well, do you, how do you expect that's to work? Well, that's wrong. That's a mischaracterization. That's a mischaracterization by you and by that chief because that's not exactly what I said. I said that the people involved in the protest that are breaking the law, that are impeding people's lawful access, their lawful transport, their ability to move their goods, the interference with their commerce, the hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars that are being affected by this blockade. That is nothing short of thuggery. When you start interfering with other people's lives, impeding their lawful passage, interfering in their jobs, that has to be stopped and there has to be an intervention. I'm just trying to get at uh, the reality of these protests work. Are you just suggesting the answer here is get the police and clear the tracks and, that's, and just crack some heads? Is that it? 
No, 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 no. No, of course not, Evan. I know that's good inflammatory language and it gets clickbait, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the police need to enforce the law. There's one law for Canada. That's not to rule out further dialogue. It's not to rule out further discussion. That is going to continue and clearly will continue when and if the uh, Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, the five, uh, decide that they want to sit down and talk with the government. But what, what we are not seeing represented here fairly in the debate, in my opinion, is the 20 band chiefs and the majority of the Wet'suwet'en tribe who want to be able to access this incredible once-in-a-generation opportunity. All right, we have to take a short break. So Peter McKay has a hard line on the protests, as you've just seen, but what else does he stand for? What about a price on carbon? And what does he think about the radical new letter on Alberta rights and potential separation from four Conservative MPs? We find out more from Peter McKay next. Stay right here with Question Period. Welcome back to Question Period. He's been the Justice, the Defense, and the Foreign Affairs Minister, but now Peter McKay is running to be the Conservative Party leader, and maybe one day the Prime Minister. After criticizing Andrew Scheer for running a campaign that he said couldn't score in a breakaway on an open net, what would Peter McKay do differently, and what new ideas does he have? Let's find out in part two of our conversation. Mr. McKay, Andrew Scheer was against the carbon tax. If you were the Prime Minister, would you put a price on carbon and hit the Paris climate change uh, greenhouse gas emissions targets that the Conservatives have also signed on to? Well, no price on carbon. I don't believe in a carbon tax. And uh, the Liberal governments, don't, they, they don't have a plan. They have a tax. And a tax is disproportionately uh, distributed, in this case, across the country. It hits rural communities harder because they don't have transportation options. They don't necessarily have the options that others do in, in how they heat their homes or run their businesses. So it's unfair and it's unjust, and we need to look for better solutions. All right, you have said that you know Canada is less than 2% of global gas emissions, but you and I both know collective action works and everyone does their part. So I'm just going to ask you a very straight question. If you were the Prime Minister, would a Conservative government meet the Paris Climate Accord target yes or no it's aspirational we'll try <clears throat> pardon me you'll try so so that okay so that's not well that's what every government would do isn't no, it I know, but, we'll, but, we'll try but to meet the uh, the but you'll try to do it without the carbon tax that's what that's the point so you'll that's get correct. rid of the carbon tax well the carbon tax doesn't lessen a carbon tax gives a license to pollute a carbon tax gives it why, why do you say that well because the more you pay the more you can pollute it's not a solution a carbon tax does not reduce greenhouse gas emissions well, okay. I mean, you, you know in California and British Columbia, per capita, it's gone down while the economy's growing. Um, and I'm just saying, you're, you know, you're, you're a guy that, under, that appreciates the economy. Um, if you're, the whole point is when you put a price on externalities, people change their behavior to avoid that price. Why, why is that not a market signal that would change behavior? Even Jason Kenney has put a price on carbon for big emitters. Even Andrew Scheer would have put a price on carbon. The idea of putting a price on carbon is something that conservatives have accepted. You're saying that that's wrong? No, I'm not saying that's wrong. You're mischaracterizing again. What I'm saying is that putting a carbon tax on every commuter, every driver, every household does not represent a fair approach. Going after big emitters and asking them to do more, sure, we can do that. But the real answer is going to be technology that actually lessens, lessens the carbon emission, not taxes it, not gives a permit, not allows people to simply pay to do it. Okay, well, we'll find out uh, the details of that plan. What about uh, balancing the, the books? Uh, again, would you have some kind of policy to reach balance in the books? I 
very much believe in balanced budgets. As you'll know, in 2015, when the Conservative government left office, the books were balanced. There was a small surplus. And so, yes, we have to get back to balance. But like other leaders, I'm, I'm not in a position to be able to see exactly where we are. I, I don't uh, necessarily accept the numbers that we're hearing out of Ottawa right now. But I know we're headed in the wrong direction and we're not getting anywhere near balancing the books. And I do believe we need a balanced budget. Would you raise the level of military contribution to 2% of GDP? President Trump has talked about that. Canada's aspirationally signed on for that. Uh, would you do that? We did. I was in government when we signed that declaration in Wales. And so, yes, I think it is something that Canada needs to do. And the way in which it's calculated at NATO, of course, is, is an important part of how we get there. And I think that what, what I would argue is that we need to do more in North America that should be considered as part of our NATO commitments. Let me just ask you, uh, Peter McKay, a question about your French. People, have, the knock on you has been, this guy's been running for prime minister for, for 20 years. He's been a minister and he didn't bother to learn French. It's played out in the Quebec papers. Why, what happened? Why didn't you get better at French and could you today participate in a French language debate? Absolument, Evan. Uh, C'est uh, nécessaire d'avoir la capacité d'exprimer les politiques, de parler français. C'est une langue, uh, c'est une langue au Canada officielle. Donc, uh, quand j'étais un député à Ottawa, j'ai étudié français, j'ai utilisé français dans les chambres du commune, j'ai utilisé dans les comités. Il y a beaucoup d'occasions de parler français à Ottawa. Malheureusement, ici à Toronto, uh, depuis la dernière quatre ans. Je suis euh, travaille dans les, les secteurs privés et je n'ai pas utilisé français. It's, it's like a muscle, Evan. I haven't been speaking French uh, to a large degree over the last four years working at a law firm here in Toronto. There's very little occasion. Uh, but uh, I believe I can work at it. I can continue to improve my French and I can continue to explain, as I just did, my ideas in French. And I believe right. I'll, I'll be ready. Uh, uh, social conservative issues have been big in the last campaign and you talked about them. Would you let private members uh, uh, bring forward bills on abortion or would you stop that? Well, it's, uh, it's really a matter of parliamentary privilege. As you know, under the Westminster model, which Canada operates under, people are allowed to, as members of parliament, bring forward private members' bills. So you can't stop it, but certainly I'm, I'm pro-choice. I'm not uh, in favor of revisiting or reopening or refusing access. And so in a government that I would lead, that would not be part of our legislative agenda. Uh, did you see this Buffalo Declaration? Four MPs, including powerhouses like Michelle Rempel, have essentially written what some are calling like the 2001 firewall letter that Stephen Harper once signed, saying that Alberta has been treated like a colony. Uh, Eastern Canada functionally treats Alberta as a colony. Do you believe they're, they're right? Do you support this declaration? I don't, but I do support their right to express themselves, uh, <clears throat> even in language that may be uh, language I don't disagree with, or I don't agree with. Uh, frankly, it's not Eastern Canada, let's be clear. I think what they're talking about is the centre. They're talking about uh, Quebec and Ontario, not Atlantic Canada. As an Atlantic Canadian, I understand the frustration. I understand when we saw projects like Energy East uh, refused for some of the same reasons that we're being uh, presented in Alberta, some of the same reasons that are being considered right now for the Frontier Tech decision that is pending. And so it's, uh, it's indicative of just how divided Albertans and people from Saskatchewan are feeling. Uh, that is directed at the federal government, it is directed at Ottawa, the Trudeau administration, and it needs to be addressed. Uh, Peter McKay, always great to have you on the program. Thank you, sir.
Thanks, Evan. Good to talk to you. All right, coming up, what's the way forward for Justin Trudeau and the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline? Has the blockade crisis caused deep political damage? The Scrum is here next to break it all down. Stay right here with Question Period. Every attempt at dialogue has been made, but discussions have not been productive. We can't have dialogue when only one party is coming to the table. So is it the turning point or the breaking point? The rail blockades in support of the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs in British Columbia who opposed the multi-billion dollar natural gas pipeline under the lands are still up. The Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is in a bind. He's gone from dialogue to demands. He says remove the barricades now. But how will that happen? The political tension is rising. So is the economic pain, as almost 1,500 people have been temporarily laid off. And some municipalities are deeply concerned about key shortages in the near future. What is the government's next move? And what does it mean for the livelihoods of those living on First Nations land along that uh, route? Let's bring in the scrum to find out. Tonda McCharles is a senior reporter for the Toronto Star. Bob Fife is the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail. Our special guest today, President and CEO of Nanos Research, Nick Nanos, is back. And so is Pam Palminer, the Chair in Indigenous Governance at Ryerson University and a Mi'kmaq lawyer. Uh, great to have all of you here, Bob. I just want to start with you. Uh, what do you make of Mr. Trudeau's press conference Friday when he went from dialogue and patience to take the barricades down? What's happened? Well, nothing's happened. That's the whole point. Nothing has happened. Um, one would have thought that the government was now going to make uh, a, an effort here to get those barricades down, but all we're hearing is talk, talk, talk. And you know, this is, a, this is getting to be a very serious issue. We're now into our third week. Uh, people in, in Quebec could be running out of chlorine. They're gonna be running out of propane. As Tonda was saying, she was in Montreal uh, on Saturday. There are huge lineups of trains that are backed up. This is not a funny issue anymore. The problem, uh, you heard with Mr. Blair saying, oh, we just want to continue to talk. The, most of those protesters are, are, are anti-pipeline and anti-capitalist, and I'm not talking about indigenous ones because most of the, most of the people banning these things are non-indigenous. They don't want a deal. They don't want to talk. They want to continue this because they're against pipelines. So at some point, the government is going to have to act and the police are going to have to act. But will the police act if they don't know that Trudeau is going to have their back? That's got to be an issue for them. Well, was that, I asked Bill Blair, Tonda, was it a signal to the police when he said, take the barricades down? And Bill Blair saying, was that kind of a wink, wink? Whatever you do, we support now. Yeah, Bill Blair can't literally go out and say, that yes, this is a signal, uh, we're directing them to do this. They can't, they won't, they won't do that. He's getting much better than he used to be at skating, however. Uh, but it's pretty clear after that Trudeau news conference that uh, the police would have their backing for whatever uh, enforcement action they took. Um, it very clearly is with the police right now. But as long as the government is still sending signals that dialogue is open and they're continuing to talk, BC and Ottawa with hereditary chiefs, some of them, in the Wet'suwet'en territory, the police think, oh, negotiations are still happening. So uh, I think that it's still with the police to enforce these injunctions. Um, tougher questions perhaps need to be asked of them. Why aren't they? Pam, what now? I mean, you heard, what did you make of Justin Trudeau saying, take the barricades down? The dialogue to this point has not worked to do that. Well, it, it's not a dialogue to say, here's what's going to happen. 
you take the barricades down without, you know, the other side of the dialogue, which is, oh, and here's how we're going to respect your land rights. And here's how we're going to respect, you know, you not being forcibly removed from your homes for the sake of a pipeline that doesn't even have all of its permits yet. So, you know, you, you, that's not a dialogue, that's an order. And, and, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau has failed up until this point. I mean, he essentially ignored this issue, you know, to seek his seat on the UN Security Council and then kind of comes in at the last minute, says, we're going to have some dialogue. Oh, yeah, now it's take down the barricades. That's not going to work. And the hereditary leaders and all of the hundreds of Klan members who they represent are saying they want a nation-to-nation -nation meeting, they want the RCMP off their territory and coastal gasoline pipeline because they don't even have the required permits. See, I think what's happened here actually is that there are two things going on at the same time. One thing that's been going on for a long time is the uh, efforts by the BC government and the feds to talk to the Wet'suwet'en people about dealing with their broader land claim or and, and how to recognize their rights there. Uh, and then there's the pipeline project. And Trudeau was trying to distinguish between the two, but uh, in fact, they're very, they're in the in the minds of many of those people, these are one and the same. Yeah, well, Canadians want this settled. Mm -hmm. They want it peacefully settled. But I'll tell you what's missing from all of this is what is being put in place so this does not happen again. And this speaks to some sort of plan. And this also applies to the opposition parties. It's easy to take pot shots at the government, but there's also an onus on not just the government, but the opposition parties and the leadership in Ottawa, at least, to advance what will be done so that this but does not way? happen again. So just in, in what way? Just elaborate on that. I, get, I appreciate that, but in what way? A better process? Because, because obviously the crisis is about the barricades, but you're saying there's a longer-term issue I, for I think I think the longer-term issue is that there's obviously a key leadership role for the hereditary chiefs, for the elected band leadership, and also for the government. I think everybody's got to come together in order to find a solution. Because the last thing, as soon as someone's not at the table, it's unlikely that you're going to find any kind of path Here's forward. Here's the problem you have right now, and you're starting to see this pop up. The longer the government waits, and the more economic damage is done to the economy, you're seeing vigilanteism. You're seeing in Saskatoon on the weekend where some anti-pipeline or pro-pipeline people came and confronted uh, some of the people who were, who were holding, uh, delaying the trains. This is going to become more of a problem and the government has to deal with this if, because people are saying if you won't deal with this then we're going to deal with this. And we do not want and to you have know vigilantism. This is, this is also a political freight train because issues that affect people's day-to-day -day lives, their jobs, their like livelihoods, move the numbers. And that's what everybody's got to watch out uh, for. Pam, you're nodding your head, but I just say I, I just had Peter McKay on the program, yeah. and he called the, the, the guys that came in and took the barricades down near Edmonton Good Samaritans. What do you make of that? Well, that's just alarmist. He's trying to create divisions. He's trying to, you know, present this view that the majority of Canadians are against, the, you know, these these um, uh, blockades. When in fact, look at the thousands and thousands of Canadians that, you know, haven't just pro, you know, participated in them, but have participated in marches and rallies like all this weekend. The thousands of academics and lawyers who've spoken out, union people, even rail workers, even businesses and business CEOs who are impacted by the blockade saying, no, this is the only way that people can get attention. You know, you, you've essentially had decades of genocide, not respecting their rights. Of course we support them. And so there's another whole side to this conversation that isn't covered, and that's as time goes, the swelling, the groundswell of support by Canadians but, for respect for uh, Indigenous rights. I, I get that, but but 
Is this what happens, the, the kind of kitchen sink effect, where there's a lot of issues now coming into this Tonda? For example, one of the voices, and I've spoken to a bunch of the hereditary chiefs who support the pipeline, the elected chiefs, a lot of folks say, our voice is not getting heard mm -hmm. here. We're getting drowned out. How, how, what it's do you make of that? Problem. It's a big problem for, uh, I mean, Pam refers to the majority of Canadians supporting this. I actually think that's overstating the case. And the problem is because we are hearing about the divisions in within Wet'suwet'en territory. And... Uh, Presumably, both the provincial and federal governments are speaking to some of the people who support the pipeline. Even the court that issued the injunction for the company recognized that the Wet'suwet'en are divided among themselves about this project and how it should go forward. So I think, yes, it's a real political well, problem, I, I but doubt, what's the way forward? I, I doubt very much the majority of Canadians are supporting uh, uh, an economic blockade that's happening in our railways. I, I do believe the majority of Canadians, though, are concerned and do support reconciliation yeah. with uh, indigenous people. Of that, there is no yeah, doubt. Canadians, okay, you're, you're can the here. Who supports what? Well, you know what? Canadians support reconciliation, and they know that there is a big problem. At the same time, there's not a lot of support for the blockade. People just want to move on in terms of that front. So it's squaring the circle between reconciliation and the economy. But that's the tricky part. Isn't, isn't Trudeau right when he says that this whole thing is jeopardizing public right. support for the bigger project? All right, I got to take a short break. Hang on. Uh, when we come back, and the scrum will be back in a minute, the political cost of the stalemate, and what is next? We're also going to dig into this Alberta, well, is it an Alberta First Manifesto supported by four Conservative MPs? It's called the Buffalo Declaration. What is it all about? We'll dig into that next on Question Period. Justin Trudeau has already taken force off the table. He has refused to use the authority that he has. Now he is relying on the goodwill of the protesters to take down the barricades. That's not leadership. This is nothing more than phony resolve. Welcome back to Question Period. So after weeks of blockades, will the pipeline protest issue reach a breaking point? How can the government avoid violence and end this? And what's the political cost of this? Meantime, four Conservative MPs, including the influential Michelle Rempel, have released something called the Buffalo Declaration, a 13-page manifesto that describes Alberta as a colony, and they argue it's culturally distinct, a resonant choice of words. They want big changes in things like equalization or the threat of separatism might grow. Is this the first shot at an Alberta independence movement? What does it mean? Let's bring back the scrum together. Response, Tony McCharles is back, Bob Fife is back, Nick Nano's back, mm -hmm. and so is our special guest, uh, Pam Palmer. Great to have you all here. Let's just focus on pipelines for a second, Nick. The political costs of this stalemate, what are, what are they for Justin Trudeau and for everybody? The two big risks for Justin Trudeau, first of all, the economy. That the economy kind of takes a hit as a result of this, and that people pin it on what I'll say, the dithering of Justin Trudeau. And the second risk relates to talk, not action. You know, that the Prime Minister says the right thing on a lot of these big issues, but nothing ever happens, and how the Indigenous file is, is an example of that. You know what he needed? What Trudeau needed? He needed an emergency Zamboni driver goalie right. to come in and save the day Wasn't on some of this. Wasn't that supposed to be Christopher Freeland? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Look, I, I think he's coming across as a very weak leader. Uh, when this whole, whole uh, blockade started, he was in Africa, uh, said very little. He came back uh, and said, okay, we've got, to we've got to have patience, we've got to have dialogue, uh, nothing happened, and by Friday, I'm running out of patience, let's have dialogue, we're Sunday, nothing has happened, the 
the economy is still being uh, severely hurt by this. So he's coming across, in my view, as a weak leader. And on the other issues of uh, reconciliation, uh, he'd have more credibility if he wasn't fighting in the courts uh, a human rights commission that was denying uh, proper care for First Nations children. If we didn't still have uh, re reservations living in dire poverty and we have uh, reservations where they still don't have drinking water, there's a lot of things that this government could do and it isn't doing for First Nations people. Pam, what's the way forward here? Even for many people who have deep sympathy with the Wet'suwet'en Heredity or chiefs who support or don't support the pipeline and those who do, uh, this cannot continue like this, so what is the way forward? Well, this is what Native people have been saying for decades now. We cannot continue like this. Everything's getting worse. And unfortunately, Canada hasn't paid attention. All political parties, federal and provincial. But now we're in a situation where Justin Trudeau needs to step up. He went to his usual, well, we'll just put, you know, the Assembly of First Nations and some chiefs in a press conference. You know, that'll make everything look good for us. They'll tell everyone to stand down. And that crashed miserably. Not only did it, you know, isolate those people from their own people and and they were criticized, but it, it also showed that Justin Trudeau doesn't even have his old school go-to anymore, that he has to actually step on, up, on his own as a leader and engage in real negotiations, not try to play this out through the media. And so far he hasn't engaged in those nation-to-nation -nation negotiations, which are desperately needed on but, all but, sides. But to be fair, to be fair, actually, um, uh, and Jody Wilson-Raybould pointed this out, whatever you might think of, uh, you know, her relationship with the government, uh, she did point out that the government had taken big steps to actually deal with some of those broader issues, not just the services on welfare, child language, health, education, but the broader nation-to-nation self-governance issues. Uh, and they started that train down a different track, but in fact, uh, according to Wilson-Raybould, that got derailed. It was all words lofty rhetoric or the wrong words and the wrong rhetoric and didn't engage with First Nations leadership and empower them to decide who speaks for them. All right, a last thing on this, Nick, real quick. So, so Justin Trudeau's got to make some decisions. Do, if the police come in and this ends violently, it's a bad thing for everybody. If this blockade goes on, it starts to sap his political capital. What is the way out here for him? Is there, or is this going to be something that, <laughs> for him though, Nick, is this one of those political moments where his grand bargain that he came in, you know, resource development, reconciliation, and environmentalism is collapsing? I think the the fact of the matter is he's going to have to take a hit on this, because of the the time that he's taken to respond. That the fact that not, there's been no real progress, at least, and that Canadians want to put this to rest. So uh, I think he's going to have to take his political lumps on this and hope that somehow something happens and order to take down the blockade. Uh, let's talk about the Buffalo Declaration. Can we talk about that? Four MPs, including Michelle Rempel, who's very influential, released this, I, can, I don't know, is it a manifesto? Is it, we want a fair deal for Alberta, echoing what Jason Kenney said. They want to change things like equalization. They talk about being culturally distinct. We're treated like a colony. What, is this a problem for the next leader, Bob? What do you make of this? I find it a bit of a head shaker, to be honest. The Conservatives had an Alberta Prime Minister for 10 years. Stephen Harper. Alberta premiers have tended to do uh, punch above their weight. Peter Lougheed, Ralph Klein, Jason Kenney. The last leader was from Western Canada. The current leader, uh, who's soon be leaving, is from Western Canada. Andrew Scheer, he creased the numbers. So what is this stuff that uh, Western Canada is somehow getting screwed by Confederation? It makes no sense. 
What do you make of it, Donna? Well, coming Donna? from a, a province that considers itself pretty distinct, Newfoundland, I find it uh, kind of also a head-scratcher because many provinces consider themselves pretty distinct and always, we feel, put upon by yeah. Ottawa. Uh, but look, it echoes some themes that Stephen Harper brought himself to power on. The West wants in. We want more power. We well, want more say. Fire, fire right? The famous firewall letter. 2001. Yeah. Uh, maybe Michelle should run for the leadership of the Conservative Party and bring those ideas into a broader debate uh, across the country for so, all Conservatives. I guess I'm going to be the skunk at the party because I do think that this makes sense. Let's face it, the Conservatives won the last election in terms of the popular vote, right? From their perspective in Alberta, Alberta, Saskatchewan, that the Federation is not working. Here's the other thing to watch out for. I'm sure there's some Alberta MPs in the Conservative caucus who are thinking, why are we in the Conservative Party anyways? How is the Conservative Party helping Alberta? And for them thinking, look at those block, look at the block Quebecois. We have separatists in Alberta, and they have a chance to advocate specifically for separatists in Quebec. They can advocate for Quebec. And I'm sure there's some Albertan Conservatives thinking, why couldn't we think about having an Alberta party whose sole job and mission is to advocate for Alberta because they don't feel that they're you know, cutting through? We, we, they that? tried that before with yes. the Reform Party, and it didn't, didn't work. work. So, and also, Alberta as an independent country, landlocked. Come on, give me a break. I'm uh, not saying well, that independence and, 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 works, but I'm just saying as a, as a strategy. Uh, Pam, what do you make of this? <laughs> well... It's so painfully ironic on so many levels that right now, while we're dealing with everything that's happening around the Wet'suwet'en and the failure to respect their rights, they, and they're the ones also saying, you know, remove the blockades, go in, send in the police, but oh, by the way, no one is respecting our rights. And to use the same kind of colonial language when they have done the exact same thing to Indigenous peoples in their country, one of the worst provinces. And hello, how about decimating all of the buffalo so that Indigenous Indigenous peoples wouldn't be able to subsist for themselves. And so there's so many ironies here, but the, the worst one takes the cake. I mean, Alberta's always been amongst the, the top three or top four most wealthiest, according to GDP, um, provinces. So, you know, this is really about politics. It really has nothing to do with any kind of credibility in the things that they're it's saying. About, it's about pain. It's about economic and pain that real, Alberta and it's is it's a sign feeling. of yes. real alienation yes, not, and real pain. Right. Right. It's start, exactly that. talking it's about exactly independence, that. you are. You're crossing the line. You're being irresponsible. If you're supposed to be in, in mainland, and they are members of uh, the official opposition, it's irresponsible to talk about independence. They should know better than that. In fact, I understand that uh, Rempel didn't even tell the Conservative leadership she was coming out there and throwing this flame well, flame. It, it uh, might be irresponsible, but we should not be dismissing how some people feel. I get it. Because I, people have legitimate I, I, concerns. I, agree. I think there's a real sign of anger and alienation. I get it. Maybe it's felt all over the country. But just last word on that, Nick, does this pose a problem for whoever is the next leader of that it's party? It's a big problem for, uh, for the next leader, who hypothetically could be Peter McKay. And uh, I think it's a problem for the Conservative Party. It's going to be a problem for the Federation. All right, I got to leave it there. Again, we are still on a stalemate on that. We don't know the way out, but we gave it some analysis with Tonda, Bob, Nick, and Pam. Just great to have the four of you here. Great to have all of you watching, so concerned about the direction of our country, whatever side you're on in all this, and we will be back here in seven short days. Thanks for watching.